Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Welcome to another episode of Through the Corporate Glass. I'm your host Ashwini. What does it mean to work on artificial intelligence and machine learning? Are there multiple roles and ways to contribute in this field? How does one assess interest, aptitude, and garner skills to break into the field of AI and ML? To answer this and share his incredible journey, we talk with Nimar Arora, AI ML lead at DevRev. Nimar did his bachelor's in computer science from IIT Kanpur and master's from University of Texas, Austin in computer science. He pursued a PhD from UC Berkeley after working for 16 years in the industry. He founded a company called Bayesian Logic, where he co-invented and deployed the NetVisa generative model to help the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization to detect, locate nuclear explosions on a global scale. It's so fantastic to work with Nimmer, who's always willing to share his knowledge and explore new ideas. His encouraging attitude and willingness to listen to every point of view makes him a great leader. Welcome to our podcast, Nim. Thank you so much for making time for us. I'd like to start out by asking you, what does AI and machine learning mean? It means a lot of different things to different people. So it would be great to hear your thoughts and get some clarity around it. Thank you, Ashwini, for inviting me here. Um, I'm very happy to talk to you about uh, this area. What is AI uh, ML? So it's really an applied research area, effectively. It's a very interesting area because uh, there are a lot of deep theoretical ideas that one has to understand. And these deep ideas are being put in practice all the time, all around us. And they have been really simplified for practitioners to, you know, to, to use. So it's, it's a pretty unique field in the sense of the confluence of deep ideas versus real world deployment all around us. It's actually um, interesting that you say that because I think there's usually this aura of mystique around anything which is labeled AI ML. And there's also a little bit of an apprehension when it comes to the field. They're like, oh, it's probably highly theoretical and it's you, you need to be a genius in math to be able to make any sense of the field. Is that true? Or do you think there are different roles and flavors that people can fit in just within the realm of AI and ML? <laughs> I don't know if you need to be a genius in math. I, I think uh, some of the math is quite hard. I'll admit that for sure. But at the same time, the field has been crystallized down so that practitioners can really get into it. And people working on it don't necessarily have to understand every aspect of it. And they can still contribute and they can still make progress and do something cool. And I'll also point out there's a, there's, there's a lot of art in the field also, especially in the recent years in this work on deep learning. Oftentimes people don't really know the full math behind why some technique really works. And it can be <laughs> a lot of trial and error that also works very well. So <laughs> yeah, what do you recommend in terms of people trying to play around with things to understand both their interest and their aptitude? 
to be able to work in this area well i think first of all you have to be uh, a computer science programmer i think that's a given and you have to have some interest in math some mathematical maturity when you're working with linear algebra or optimizations those are things that you should find interesting and statistics should not be something that puts you off like what a normal distribution is for example or how do you do hypothesis testing these are some basic ideas that even if you don't know them you should feel comfortable learning about them and playing with them if none of these things scare you off uh then definitely i think you have the aptitude <laughs> uh progressing further now there is uh, different ways to progress further i mean i mean there are some introductory classes of course the internet is full of resources coursera udemy have a lot of introductory classes if you haven't been got the opportunity to take these courses in your undergrad uh and they go at various levels you can choose to learn at a very higher level superficial level you can learn just enough to be a manager to make business decisions yeah actually you brought up some uh, a very interesting point over there even if someone is not going to be deeply involved in the theoretical side of things having some level of basic understanding is actually critical to any role within the uh, ml context a lot of things frankly have been made easy to consume for example there are google apis which make it easy to do text to speech or things which are inherently non trivial problems so a lot of the uh, pieces which are using ml versus building ml they they seem to get merged and there's this huge ball which is ai ml have you noticed this pattern where users of ml also consider themselves part of the community and any thoughts around that absolutely and they should feel part of the community i think uh... if you have a roomba that is uh, vacuuming your floor you are part of the ml community <laughs> <laughs> awesome so to drill down a little bit further on uh, what is actually involved with an ml project if someone joins a team and is trying to build a project in this area is there a way that you can walk us through an example or anything that you give us some clarity yes absolutely i think this question also ties in a lot into what an ml infrastructure is what is ml infrastructure versus what is a typical ml project these are interwoven together so now i will probably try to answer your question by combining those two things concepts together so i think the first thing in any ml infrastructure you may heard of this a lot is just data collection just raw data collection i mean things that we hate to give out of course like you know all the cookies and all of that but that is the lifeblood of ml in fact every organization even if it does not have any ml infrastructure in place has to has already started thinking and already deployed a lot of data collection things like simple events like what are all the interactions that people are having with our app with our business and can we capture that interaction whether it's taking asking for a loan or just walking into a store to buying a coffee or clicking on a product those are all interactions they can be captured they can be captured in simple terms terms of user id did action on product or more complex things like time geolocation and things like that 
that's like the very first step. So working on an ML project, the very first question any ML engineer will ask, okay, where's my data? <laughs> and that's really what you have to ask. If the data already exists, okay, what is the data schema? Explain it to me, describe it to me. How is it collected? What does it mean? How reliable it is? One really cannot have an ML project without data. Of course, there are some kinds you can, but let's just say the vast majority are mostly data dependent. Um, so when, when you have figured that out, I think the first thing an ML engineer or a data scientist, and I use those terms quite equivalently here, would do is uh, just do some analysis of the data, simple correlation analysis, simple patterns uh, that can be identified. And, and there are a number of uh, toolkits out there and services also now where you, you can just upload your data and it can do automated analysis for you, help you identify patterns. And this is really to help you just develop your intuition about the domain that you're working on. And intuition is of course nothing at this point, unless you can translate it into a business problem that is worthy of being solved. So you do your analysis, get some intuition, and then you go in front of stakeholders and describe a hypothesis that I think I can build a model that can predict this or can infer this, and this can help us make money in this way, or it can help us deliver value in this way. Figuring out that business proposition is, is often the hardest part because that's really what makes or breaks uh, these ideas, right? Because somebody has to fund them right. <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> right. uh, and that's where you meet a lot of skepticism. And that's where you really have to re rely back to your intuition and your data analysis to help guide your thinking. But let's say you get past this phase and this phase can take a while, but once you get past this, then you can go back and then try to deliver on your promises. And then you can try to do what's called uh, uh, in the business as uh, feature engineering. You can say, okay, I need to build a model to predict this thing. What kind of features do I have to extract from the data to, to make these predictions? And you know, there are newer techniques that are not really feature dependent. They're techniques based on embeddings in which uh, the features are more automatic or in fact, more of a black box. We don't really understand what the embeddings mean. I'm just gonna broadly call that feature engineering as well. And so you do feature engineering, you, then you do model designer with that and you say, okay, let's do some offline evaluation with these features and with this model, can I actually predict this whether I'm claiming to predict it? And then do a detailed offline analysis and then go back to your stakeholders and say, I think I can predict this with 7% accuracy and does that still satisfy your problem? They will say yes or no, and you go ahead and try to deploy the project. Now, this is where the it goes from a math problem to a systems problem, because now you know what data, you what features you need to make your prediction. Well, then the question is, how do you collect the real-time interactions of your users to formulate these features? Assuming it's a real-time model, uh, how do you collect these features in real-time? How do you store them? How do you deploy your model, have a model serving layer that can deploy these models in real time? Once you deploy those models, how do you measure the accuracy of that interaction? Like you recommended a feature, uh, a product to a user or, or a video to the, a person to watch. Did they watch the video all the way through, for example? And just how many minutes of that video did they watch it? Did they give it a thumbs down if they didn't like it or did they give it a thumbs up? So yeah. measuring how accurate your model was. And then, of course, developing dashboards around that and making charts and then going back to your stakeholders and 
proving that you did provide the business value that you claimed. Uh, <laughs> that is the next step. And then often in, as around this, there's often going to be an experimentation service where you may have different variants of your model where you have to now try them out and then see which one works well. So you may divide your population into different sets and try different variations on different sets and, and see what works better. Because once you deploy a model, it doesn't stop there. Their business holders, stakeholders will still will keep asking you to keep on improving it. And that's when you start to look for variants, start to look for opportunities where you can do better. And then experimentation service is another part of the infrastructure that comes into play here. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of roughly what that life means. And then of course, as an engineer, my personal experience, 90% plus of all projects fail for one reason or the other. So you have to be really prepared for, for that outcome. And the more you think it through in terms of the more, the better infrastructure you have and the more due diligence you have done with the analysis and the discussion with your stakeholders, the more you'll increase the odds of being successful because oftentimes the failure is not because you failed your objectives. Your model did exactly the way you thought it would do but tying the model's performance to a business objective, that is often the hardest problem. And that's where I think most ML engineers should spend more time thinking about. Yeah, that's a brilliant breakdown. So thank you so much for kind of the detailed breakdown. A couple of things stood out to me while you were describing the workflow. One is, of course, the importance of the data set, as you emphasize the the whole emphasis around data collection and I guess the model would be as good as the data. So in terms of identifying the right data sources or being able to collect it, is that more of an art or a science? Is there like subject matter expertise that helps over there or how does one think about it? I think that is also mostly a systems problem. Most of the times the the reason that you're not able to collect certain data that you theoretically want to collect and you theoretically have access to is that it is just not physically feasible to collect all of that data or that kind of data or in that in that timely manner. So most of the time, it's just a, a systems problem. From an ML perspective, the thinking is, hey, just give us as much data as you have or give us more. More right. is always better. And then we can figure out what is relevant or not relevant. Right. as we do our analysis. And it's really often ends up being a tussle between the systems engineers on the one hand who are trying to make the data available in a timely and reliable fashion and, and ML engineers who simply want to use everything that they possibly can. Or I should say data scientists here at this phase because initially it's just data scientists who are asking for all this data just to try to build a model. And ML engineers come in more in the second half where they are trying to take a model that has been conceived and try to deploy it. So really it's very, very, very domain dependent and mostly a data engineering problem. <laughs> and in fact, I, I'm using a number of terms here, data engineering, data assess. Uh, so typically the, the, the systems engineers who are responsible for collecting this data, making them available in the warehouse, they, they're typically often also called data engineers. Uh, whereas uh, uh, data scientists, typically looks at the, look at this data, they, they build some models around that and the, they do some analysis, find some patterns, get the uh, business proposition sorted out and then propose some models for it. 
and ML engineers who take these uh, conceived ideas and then deploy them into production. That's kind of the rough roles, although in some companies they don't like to have data scientists, they have ML engineers do the role of data scientists as well. But, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. So the uh, other thing you mentioned was about the accuracy or about setting expectations, I guess. And I found that a, like a really important uh, point as well. As you said, the, the accuracy is something that probably improves over time. And it's, it's also like correlated a lot to the staying power in some sense. And so uh, it was a great point that you made about how it needs to tie into a, a particular business problem. Do you think that's crossing the boundaries in the sense people with different kinds of expertise trying to brainstorm to figure that out or how is that typically done? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, ML doesn't work in silos, of course. The fact that it has been democratized so much with all of these APIs and all that you have, that you mentioned earlier and a lot of libraries that are out there means that anybody can just go in and try out some ideas. And so, like you're saying, yes, they're in the brainstorming around what is possible and feasible, you can have people who could be completely non-technical, who could take some ideas and, uh, and imagine a world where those ideas are become are deployed and they can evaluate the business impact of, that, of those ideas without actually doing anything, without actually going in the field and building something. So I think that's where the world is heading to right now, where um, you don't need very specialized people to get started and even to prove an idea. And a lot of companies are making it really easy to deploy ML models also. Right. AWS has a lot of services around that as well, especially if you have a well-formulated problem like recommender system or a NLP problem around translation or autocomplete or some of these other services that are quite fundamental nowadays. So you can just uh, buy an off-the-shelf service and configure it a teeny bit and deploy it without any ML knowledge whatsoever. In a sense, it makes my um, my expertise a little bit more outdated. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the other side of this argument about the people who don't necessarily need to invest time to learn more about the the actual ML model or how things work is that it could potentially lead to some kind of misuse unintentionally, not even like a malicious intention, but it could just be that people don't know how it works. And so you have unintended consequences. So what are your thoughts around that? I know you, you basically invested time doing a PhD in the field and analyzing the field deeply. I'm also wondering if Thinking about this deeply has some advantages and also an ethical angle to it. I think you raise a very good point. ML can certainly be misused. Without a good understanding of what you are actually doing, one can imagine that it is doing things that it really is not. I've seen people try to use ML models to make predictions where there is absolutely no way that that ML model can give you an accurate prediction. Uh, because there are some basic fundamental laws of nature involved here. Like there's one fundamental law of nature with ML, which is you can only make predictions if you encode that knowledge manually or that particular scenario has been seen in the data previously. One of the two must hold for you to be able to make a prediction. 
in a particular scenario. And yet I've seen people try to deploy models for which there is no data for that kind of scenario and they have not encoded that prior knowledge in there and they expect it to do something interesting. And sometimes it works and it can be, it can be dangerous for sure. <laughs> it can lead to unethical outcomes as well. I mean, I think there's a lot of research and this is a very growing field right now are in terms of bias in ML models. In, I mean, in the 90s, it was first discovered that job applicants in, in computer science industry Job applications for women were tended to be rejected more often than by men in the computer science industry because their resume looked a certain way, mm -hmm. which was not consistent with existing people who were hired in that field. Well, this is an example of a data distribution problem. You're trying to make a prediction using a data distribution, which is, which is showing you we only accept men. So when women start yeah. applying, it says no we don't accept people whose resume looks like looks like this right, right. Uh, and you have not encoded any prior knowledge to allow for the differences so that's a classic example of not understanding how ml models work and applying it uh, into a domain blindly uh, there's a lot more awareness around that and there's a lot of ethical concerns around uh, how gender is perceived how race is perceived in important decisions like employment loans bail and uh, things like that and right. how the same information can be perceived differently based on how you train the model right so that's right. one aspect i think so it's very important to really understand the limitations of your work now of course i did a phd in the field but i don't think everybody needs to do a phd in the field i think as long as one is some sufficiently curious and can read a bit there's uh, a lot of literature out there both uh, technical and non-technical talking about AIML so you can you know get some flavor of what's going on but I mean personally if I were to hire someone in the field I would uh, really look for some dedicated period of study or work uh, focused uh, study or work in in the field to be sure that there is enough level of uh, follow-through uh, because some of these aspects can be very tricky and hard to to go through and it does show does require a certain level of dedication to to really appreciate the nuances. Yeah, I, I know this is a hard question to answer, but if someone were to try to gauge their aptitude in terms of picking between doing purely theoretical work and picking an applied area within ML, would you have any advice for them? I know you've done both and you've excelled at both, so it would be great to hear your insight there. Well, I, I think for me, the the choice was pretty straightforward. I always like to build things. I always like to put things in front of people. And I wanted to make sure that the things that I was doing were, you know, not just hacks and they were really well thought through. And so that's why I wanted to learn a bit more. Um, as far as gauging your own aptitude, I think the, the the real question is how comfortable do you feel in writing grant proposals versus writing uh, proposals for a doing a business presentation to a VC? That's the level of difference. We're making a grant proposal to the government or to some funding agency. You are imagining a world where all kinds of things could happen and the ideas that you are developing can help solve it. It's very far out and the accountability is a lot less. You can just write a paper, show some numbers on some data. You get to pick and choose your data and you get to pick and choose what analysis you will do on it. And the focus really there 
is on a technique that you've are really fallen in love with and you're trying to figure out how to make this technique more widely used by the people or or funded whereas uh, in the applied side like if you think of making a presentation to a vc you have to think in terms of well what is it that the business world needs what is it that a large number of customers users will pay for and that that changes the equation quite a bit and if that's what appeals to you then you'll be focused a little bit more on uh, on using the on relying on the theoretical aspects only so far and then at some point diverging off and saying okay these problems have not been solved yet how can i just solve them here and now for my end user without necessarily trying to go deeper into a theoretical understanding of that problem i think that's the the basic difference for me personally i wouldn't say i'm more on the theoretical side i am just enough on the theoretical side that i can uh, appreciate the work that i can have respect for what i'm working on but at the same time i am always looking for the practical off ramp where you can say okay that's enough on the theory, on the theory side now let's let's try to see where we can deploy this in the real world and how we will deploy it and what approximations or one has to make yeah that's that's awesome and we're doing some really cool stuff in devrev with ai ml as well w- would you like to say anything about the team and would you be hiring for the team Oh yeah, I would love to talk about uh, about our work at uh, DevRev. I think it's been very exciting to have this opportunity to to work for developers. I previously I have been working in AI and the target audience has been different people, okay, seismologists or people playing games or people browsing on social media and trying to keep them safe. But the target audience for the first time is now developers that is myself effectively so so that i find really cool to be working for myself and then trying to find trying to formulate ai problems that we can solve more effectively to make the life of developers better that to me is like is extremely exciting and that's why i am here and that's what we are constantly looking for so yes we are definitely hiring in the team and i, I think if you if you identify with the pain of the developer and if you find that uh, figuring out clever ways to make that pain go away then definitely this would be a good place for you to apply we would definitely encourage you as far as the kind of work that we are doing we are we are looking at uh, various different events with different things that a developer does in their life different systems that they interact with and trying to make inferences for them to short circuit their actions to to a large uh, extent of course when we release the product the more of that details will become apparent the team here is is very very young i'm the oldest guy i think everybody else is like fresh out of college and <laughs> <laughs> and they probably know a lot more about ai than i do because they teach a lot more in college today than they taught <laughs> when when i was back there and and it's really uh, exciting to see all of them take on a lot of responsibility because everyone has a distinct model that they are responsible for to manage the entire life cycle everything that we have talked about you know from collecting data to deploying it to delivering business propositions internally we have these show and tell videos each of the ml engineers who's working on a model tries to 
in a sense, justify the business value of the model that they are working on and demonstrate where the where they stand right now, how much how well good the accuracy is, and then describe some of their architecture that is going into it. So it's really uh, heartening to see all of these young college graduates just jump right into it and, and deploy these models end to end and take ownership around them. So I'm really enjoying working with them and definitely would uh, welcome more people, senior and junior, to apply. And uh, Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I can vouch for the uh, amazing work that's going on in the team and also for Nim as a mentor. I mean, you're an excellent mentor and I will make sure to link some of our openings in our uh, podcast show notes as well for uh, listeners to reach out. <laughs> thank you oh, thank so you. much for this, Nim. As usual, it's always enlightening speaking to you. And uh, thank you so much for doing this on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes, which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode. Please follow us on LinkedIn at Through the Corporate Glass and on Twitter at Corporate Glass and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our website, throughthecorporateglass.com. 